Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's episode of the Hope Unlimited Church podcast. We're honored that you're here, and we pray that you find this message both encouraging and inspiring. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to the Hope Unlimited Church podcast. I am Pastor Brandon. This is Pastor Cole, and uh, we are here with another week of a podcast for you guys. Um, how are you doing today, Pastor Cole? I am grand. Yeah. I am swell. I, I like that we're recording this podcast in my office. Pretty comfy. Yes. Pretty comfy. Or it's, it's my room in which I have all the thoughts. Right. That run through my brain. <laughs> and then I usually write a sermon or two out of those thoughts and where I pray and do all that other fun stuff. So it's a, it's a very comfortable environment for me. Fair. Fair. This is the office that I got kicked out of. Yeah, so if you know anything about the offices here at the church, we don't have a lot of office space. No, not much square footage. So it was me, Brandon, Emily, and our former staff member, Jamie, uh-huh. four people in this one office. And then Jamie decided to move to Indiana. So I moved all of her stuff out. Bye. And See then ya. Emily only works at the office um, a little bit throughout the week. And so her office is now across the street so that her girls can play in the kids' department, which right. is here. And Brandon's office is now in the the, the closet. So you can say it's, it's in a storage closet. It's, it's in a storage closet. So, But I do have an office now, and Brandon doesn't care where his but office is. But it's my storage closet. Yeah, it, it, Brandon doesn't care where his office is, so... Uh, I'm very thankful that I have a full office to myself. There you go. There you go. Well, um, this week uh, we are going to be kind of addressing a uh, a comment from from a previous video. Yeah. Um, you know, we got a comment asking our thoughts on the Old Testament and what we believe about it. So we kind of wanted to dive into that and talk about the Old Testament and kind of the and, Bible as a whole. Well, almost. yeah. Um, so what we'll do is is that we will address the Old Testament question, then we'll do the recap of the sermon. This okay, week. cool, so, great. Because yeah, it kind of fits together. Yeah, absolutely. So um, essentially we were just asked what we believe about the Old Testament. And just to summarize, number one, I would say there are tons of beliefs out there yeah. among Christians about the Old Testament. So it doesn't matter um, – really which one of those that I hold, that Brandon holds, that um, anyone holds, what matters is is that we know that the Old Testament is telling the story of Jesus. Right. It is leading us up to the story of Jesus. And so it doesn't matter what camp that you fall in, whether you believe that the that the flood was real or it was not real or we're Adam and Eve, the first people in creation. Right, right. It doesn't matter. That's not the point of the Old Testament. The point of the Old Testament is that God wants to dwell with man. Right. Yeah. And God is constantly calling out to man to come and be with him. Right. You see Adam and Eve from the beginning. From the beginning. That Adam and Eve um they disobey God. Yep. And God goes looking for them. And you essentially get that across the entire Old Testament. It is God reconciling or trying to reconcile his people back to himself. Right. And ultimately, that story points us to Jesus. Yeah. Until you are seeing Jesus in the Old Testament, you're not reading it right. 
Yeah, so. I, I think we kind of, we missed the forest for the trees mm-hmm. whenever we think about how we read the Old Testament if we aren't trying to find Jesus faithfully in the Old yeah, Testament. Yeah, that's what, that's what Paul says. Paul, Paul explicitly says that if you want to find Jesus, go read the Old Testament. Right. Go read um, the story of David and Goliath, and it becomes less about you being David and more about Jesus being David slaying all of your giants. Yeah. Go read the story of Joshua when he enters into the Promised Land. It becomes less about you going into the promised land and slaying giants, it becomes a, more about Jesus being the better Joshua that right. slays all of the giants that are in the promised land of your heart so that he can have it. Right. And so that's a really just a short kind of snippet of what we believe about the Old Testament. Yeah. So, um, that it, it's revealing Jesus to us infallibly. Right. So. Right. Yeah, and and that really is the through line, too, of the Bible, is we have to remove ourselves from being the main characters of the Old Testament and put Jesus in that spot. Jesus is the main character. Right, because the Bible is, you know, we you've heard the phrase. If you've been in the church for five minutes, you've heard this phrase in some form. The Bible is 66 books telling one story. One story. And yeah. it is not your story. It yeah. is the story of Jesus. Yeah, it is the story of Jesus reconciling you into himself. Right, which kind of answers the question that I was going to ask, but if we if we want to expound on it a bit is what story is the Bible telling? Yeah, it's you know, it's the story of Jesus. The story of Jesus is that humanity um essentially said, "Hey God, we don't want to walk with you." Yeah. And then really from that place we began to project our thoughts about God onto God in a way that it's like, man, God doesn't want to walk with us. He doesn't right. want to be with us. He doesn't want to have a relationship with us. And then the it, it's almost like a, a digression. Yeah. So it's not like, if you think about it, like a lot of times we think of, we, we, we even say this sometimes, that the Old Testament is the progressive revelation. Right. And I think it's actually a digressive revelation. Sure. Because you start with the revelation of perfect union with God. Right. And right. as you read the Old Testament, it just keeps falling away further from that. and further away until Jesus has to show up. It's and, like until we've until it. until we literally are to the point almost until we don't know who God is at all. And Jesus shows up and says, I am God. Right. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I am God. Jesus uh Colossians says this that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Yeah. So um, the story that the Old Testament... <sighs> you like to edit that out? All right. I'll start over. The story that the Old Testament is telling is that, and not even the Old Testament, the stories that the Bible is telling is that God is reconciling us to himself. Right. And so God's reconciling the world to himself. Yeah. So Corinthians 5, so... Gonna edit out the uh, the blank there. Okay. Did you put the story of Israel getting out of Egypt? It's not so really a question. So yes. Yeah, so this is what my sermon was about. Okay. Gotcha. So we'll transition now to. Okay. Cool. The cool, sermon cool. part. I see. I see what the break is. Okay. Great. And so, yeah, we'll need to do that. So. Yeah. So I mean, and and that's a very quick like yeah. you know 
less than 10 minute explainer of, you know, how we view the old Testament and how we view the Bible. And I think that is an important basis that we build on yeah. going forward. Now kind of getting into what you spoke about this past Sunday. I will, I will say this. There is a series of messages that I preach here at the church called not just stories. Oh yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So if you go in and, and dive into that sermon series a little bit in the YouTube archives, not just stories, um, you can go and listen to whatever one you want to, but basically what I'm doing is, is I'm taking Old Testament stories and showing us the person of Jesus in those Old Testament stories. Right. So. Yeah, and so one of the biggest stories in the Old Testament is the story of Israel getting out of Egypt. Mm-hmm. And last week we talked about uprooting Egypt and whatnot. Um, now, when God Upsroot Egypt out of our hearts. What does he replace that with? Yeah. Or what so, does he want to replace that with? So we're in a series right now called Gardens and Groundwork. Yeah. And this is leading into what I believe the most significant change in the history of this church is. The reason that I feel like the Lord gave me this is because, like the children of Israel, they were moving in one direction. And they were moving to a certain place. And God was calling them to live in a certain place. But we see this over and over and over again. When they get delivered from Egypt, they do not deal with the Egyptian mentality in their mind and their heart. Right. And so they end up creating their own captivity in different ways over and over and over and over and over again. Right. That's the story. Yeah. Right? It just becomes... Cyclical. Yeah. And so... um, but I, I believe that God uproots Egypt out of our heart. That was last week's message. This week's message, I kind of talked about um, what God wants to replace that with. Right. And I think it's just very clear, even in the story itself, that God wants them to understand that they are not Egyptian slaves. They are his child. Right. And so I think it's the the seed of sonship, the the seed that I am the ch- I am a child of God and He cares for me. Yeah, and so that's what I think. Once Egypt is uprooted, once the slave mentality is uprooted, once our religious mindsets are uprooted, once God deals with those, He then replaces it with, "I am a child of God." Yeah, I am. I am His. He cares for me. He cares about me. Um, he wants to care for me. He right. wants to do all of those things. And I think when we just talk through what's going on, what's happening in the children of Israel is what God is trying to get them to understand the whole time is that he's their father. Right. And they keep missing it because they were so... Egypt so marked them that they could never move into the revelation that they are children of God who care for them. Yeah. Now, so in an effort to avoid, you know, repeating Israel, how do we live out a reality and how do we live out a life that shows, you know, and helps us understand that we are deeply loved by God and his children? That's a good question. I think a lot of times one of the things is like in Galatians 4, it says that God uh, sent his spirit into our hearts crying, Abba, Father. And after that, it says something very interesting in there. 
It says, now having known that you have received, that you are an heir of God, that you are, that you re- you can, you have access to everything that the Father has right. for his child. Now knowing that, why would you ever want to go back yeah. to the religious things that you followed before? Why would you ever want to go back once you realize that I actually am his child? Right. Like, that is my identity. I'm his. He knows me. Right. And one of the things it also says there, and, and I think the Passion Translation, it says, why would you want to go back after being known intimately by God? Yeah. Like, why would you ever want to go back to a religious way of life where it's just kind of like you come to church, you do your thing? Why would you ever want to go back? And I think one of the ways that we really live this out and we avoid recreating Egypt is that we live from the place first that we are a child of God. Yeah. We don't live from the place that we're a minister. We don't live from the place that we're called by God. We're right, a prophet, right, right. apostle, evangelist, pastor, teacher. We're all the the three offices in the episcopacy, the deacon, the bishop, the uh, priest. and um, All of All of them. We have every spiritual gift that's listed right. in the Testament. A lot of times what happens is, is that we identify ourselves as gifts rather than children. Yeah. And what will happen is is that God gives you a gift to serve people. Yep. Right? God gives you a gift. Like, it's not for you. Right. You don't have a gift to be gifted for you. Right. You have a gift because God wants to use you to serve his church. The and body heals the body. Here's the big thing, too. You're not even gifted for God. God right. like God doesn't need your gift. No. Like, no. God doesn't need you to be prophetic. God doesn't need you to be a pastor. The people need you to yeah. be those things. Yeah, and so I think a lot of times that with all of the things, we, we a lot of times we end up defining people by their gifts. Oh, yeah. Instead oh, yeah. of by their, their true identity, which is a child of God who is deeply loved. Yeah, I mean, that's something that I dealt with my very first year of ministry school, and it was a mountain that I had to walk around 700 times, it felt like. Yeah. Um, I wasn't raised in church. I loved music growing up, musical theater, all that stuff. And so whenever I got involved in church, I very quickly got involved with the worship department. Mm-hmm. And I remember when I moved to Alabama to go to ministry school, I was planning on doing all of the worship stuff and like just, just diving headfirst into it. I'll never forget, I was in prayer one day, and I remember God saying, you need to learn how to be a child before you're a worship leader. Yeah. And then I stopped doing anything worship-related for a solid two and a half, three years. Like, yeah. when we moved here, Pastor Casey didn't even know I sang, let alone, lead, like, led worship. <laughs> like, he was, he thought I was joking when I stayed behind for the worship team auditions, mm. like, uh, for, for vocals and everything. And so, I just, I think that that is such an important revelation and just like an important reality that people need to understand is God is more concerned with you walking in sonship and daughtership than you walking in, you know, one of the offices of the church. Yeah. Most of the time people don't even know what the offices of the church are. No. Or, and and most definitely the fivefold ministry. But more than that, I think the way that we keep from recreating our own bondage is that we live from that place. Yeah. That I am a son or a daughter before I am anything else. Right. And God is pleased with me. Right. God is happy. God's not in a bad mood. Do I have issues? Of course yeah, I have issues. Yeah, we all do. 
of course I have issues. Does that mean that that changes who I am inside of God? No. Right. Um, Pastor Casey used to preach this um, a long time ago. I think this was 2012 winter ramp. And he would say something like, a sinner is not a sinner because he sins. Right. A sinner sins because he's a sinner. It's because of who he is. Right. And let me say this. A child of God doesn't doesn't love because they just love. Right. A child of God loves because they live in a revelation of God's love for them. Right. Even the, this is what the New Testament says. When we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And we love because he loved us first. Right, yep. Not we love God so he loves us back. R- correct, yeah. And so it is, It is no, I'm deeply loved by God even though I don't even love God right now. Yeah. I don't even know God. God loves me because he is my father. Yeah. And this is like, this is like something that I kind of alluded to on Sunday morning. Beckham did not know how to love me before... Like, I mean, a year ago. Sure, yeah, right. Like, like he he still doesn't even know what love is. Correct. He just knows that he's safe with me. Right. And he can trust me. And I think a lot of times we, Beckham's my son, by the way, but a lot of times what we want is we think that we make this move towards God and then God so lavishly throws his love all over us. Right. And though it's like, no, 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 no. The story of the gospel is that God moved towards us. Right. And that... And I, I think we get it mixed up with the like the prodigal son mentality, mm-hmm. where it's like, you just have to take one step and God will run the other 99, which is true. I mean, yeah. like, yeah. But also, the father had never stopped loving the son. Right. And that's why as soon as he saw the son take a step, he, he was already prepared to run the other 99 because he had been waiting for that moment. Yeah. It's So I think a lot of people don't understand that really and truly, like I, I, I related this because I read from Galatians 3, I think verse 23 through Galatians 4 verse like 10 or mm. something like that. And it talks about being children who have been legally adopted. Right. And I kind of use this terminology. The son or the daughter never decides when they're going to be adopted. Yeah. God decided that he was going to adopt you, and you come into a revelation of that. Right. And even sometimes I think we have a tough time. This is why some people have a tough time with the love of God. I've actually had people tell me that I talk about the love of God too much, and it's like, I'm impossible. I'm not sure how you can do that. <laughs> Literally impossible. We'll we'll go on or or people people do the the funny thing that they do where it's like oh, you, you got to balance that with wrath because God has a good side and a bad side and I'm like I don't think you know God nope. um because God doesn't have sides there's no shadow in His turning yeah and literally <laughs> dude I don't think people understand the debt like so people love to use the phrase you know He's the same yesterday today and forever yeah I don't think they truly understand like the depth that that goes to Mm -hmm. God can't change his mind about you because that means he changed from yesterday Yes, or he could change it tomorrow. And this is kind of what I went into on, on 
Sunday morning. The reason that we have trouble with all of this is because we believe that God is a God of contract, right? not a God of covenant. And this was my whole theme of my message today, moving from contract to covenant. When we view God as this contractual God that he holds up his end of the deal, if we hold up our end of the deal, we are already in idolatry. Right. Or we're already believing something about God that's not true. Yeah. Because the entire... The entire message of the Bible is that we could not hold up our end of the contract. So Jesus came and held up all of our end for us. And now, even Jesus holds up his end of the contract, and God holds up his end of the contract, despite if we do. (laughs) Jesus literally had to come... To fulfill the old covenant, yes, because we couldn't do it. And so, when we think about this, think just think through this. We make God contractual, even on our terms of how we pick that God gets to love us, right? So, like, we make God contractual in the fact that we say, if I do this, or if I don't do this, or if I do this, or if I don't do this, this changes God's love. For me, right, or it changes God's feelings towards me, or it changes His mood, right. If sin, if your actions, if your behavior, if they change God, then that means that sin has power over God, right. And so, when we when we try to do our gymnastics simply because we, if I can just be very blunt, sure. right here for a moment. When we try to do our gymnastics with our theology because we are poorly read and we like to pretend to be well-read, when we do the gymnastics of, well, this is not what they taught 100 years ago, it's like, I'm not really, cool. I don't really care if they taught that 100 years ago. <laughs> right. What did they teach in the book of Acts? Right. What did they teach? What did the early church say about God? And, and and how how did they talk about him? Right. And so I'm not concerned with what they taught a hundred years ago. I'm concerned with what they taught two thousand years ago. And so like so like the Pentecostal holiness movements and all those things that if you do this, then God's happy. Right. And if you don't do this, then God isn't happy. That is craziness. Yeah. It's craziness. And I mean and a lot of it too is the, rude. Let, me, let me say this. Yeah. Pentecostal holiness, nothing against you. No. I love you. I I think that God loves you deeply, but I believe any sort of belief in doctrine that has you follow a set of rules and then you access the love of God, that's it's heresy. Right, yeah. So. And, and I think, too, it's because we don't realize that we're building idols most of the time. Right, right, right. And whenever we do, like, whenever we put those stipulations, we're building idols and we're making ourselves God. Yeah, that's exactly Because right. at the end of the day, it's, I did X, Y, and Z, and I know that God loves me, so you have to do those exact same things Mm -hmm. because I don't have a full revelation of Mm -hmm. God's love for me, God's unending love, unchanging love, unfailing love. So since I'm operating underneath this just distorted image of God's love, I'm going to force that same thing onto you. And you're building an idol out of a bad theology because you're afraid of, I don't know. Yeah. Like, I don't know what the fear is that people have of realizing that God's love is truly unconditional. Well, 
the the fear is is that someone would love them like that and that that requires a vulnerability yeah and a sense of letting all of your guards down the reason why people have a fear that god is too loving is because they do not want him to see the most inward part of their world their most inward thought life their most when nobody's watching like what are you doing they right. don't want god to see this part of them that they think that he's going to be mad at right they are afraid of someone coming and sitting with them in the middle of their stuff because they feel unworthy of love. Right. They yeah. feel unworthy to be loved like that. And the the strangest and most dangerous thing that we do in the church is actually one of my one of our, our church members here his name's Kelby. He was telling me this story very recently. He's like, "Man, I've been doing really great for about three weeks now. Like, I was wondering, like, like he was saying something like, why isn't God doing this? Like, sure. I've been doing great. And it, he's like, it, like the Lord convicted him. He's like, oh, you still think this is about your behavior? Mm. Mm-hmm. Like, like, have you ever been that Christian that you've been serving God right, and oh, then yeah. you're wondering why oh, yeah. God is not doing all of this extravagant stuff for you? It's because you still think this is about your behavior. Right. You still think that the love of God is given to you in a greater measure if you behave well. Right. Or And, and I am all for right behavior. Yeah, 100%. Like, I'm all for right behavior. There is such thing as holiness. Yeah. There is such thing as godliness. There is such thing as right behavior. But we're talking specifically about what keeps you from recreating Egypt. Right. And what will re- what will keep you from recreating Egypt in your own life is that you live in the constant revelation that I am deeply loved by God, and that does not change. Yeah. Right? I even think one of the, the, the crazier things that we do is we take vows in the Old Testament. Right? Like... I'm going to be a Nazarite. Oh, right, I'm, yeah, yeah. Or I'm going to be a Levite, or I'm going to be uh, a Hickite, a Lamalekite, right. a Jebusite. Whichever what, I, you, whatever you prefer. Whatever I, and it's like, no, I don't want to do any of those things. I want to live in the love that God has for me right. that is not dependent upon my consecration. Right. Because if it's dependent upon your consecration, and just say that you are consecrated. Yeah. Okay, well, then you've received your reward. Yep. Right? You've received your reward. If you are perfect and you don't inherit what Jesus paid for, which you're not, by the way. Sorry. Um, just in case you're wondering. But if, if you say, well, I've done all of this and all of this has worked for me to follow what set of rules? Right. So if you do all of the work to follow a set of rules and then you get it right, it's even worse. Yeah. It's even worse. You you have effectively become a Pharisee. Yep. If you think that that earns you a greater, if you think that that makes God look at you differently because you took a vow and held up your end of the vow, that is self-righteousness. Yeah. That yeah. is self-righteousness. And a question that I've gotten a lot from people in conversations is, you know, they're like, oh, you know, you talk about like how much God loves and, you know, God loves unconditionally, yada, yada, yada. 
but then what's the point of being holy? Mm-hmm. And for me, the answer to that question is other people. Yeah. Like people, people fundamentally miss it when they think of what's the point in being holy. Right. The point, the thing is not, well, well, if, if God is all love, then what's the point in being holy? Being holy does not, let, let, me, let me say this, being holy does not exempt you from judgment. Right. That's what they want. Yep. They want exemption from judgment. But when you think of God in the right way, that his love is his judgment. Right. Then what you are saying is, is if I am holy enough, then I escape the love of God. Yep. God's judgments are aimed at all of the things. George McDonald said this in our lives that hinder love. Mm-hmm. God's judgments are aimed at all the things in our life that, that hinder love. Why? God wants a relationship with us where we live in his love constantly. Right. That That is the life that we live. Right. It's not in the love of God and out of the love of God. It is just immersed into the reality of his love. And we live holy because his love has purified us. Right. His judgments have purified us. And what makes us holy? What does that even mean? To become like God. Yeah. Like God is forming us and shaping us into his image. And so when we think about all of these things, and it's very interesting that you got that question that someone asked you, like, what's the point in living holy if it's all about the love of God? It is the love of God that makes you holy. Yeah. It is the love of God that makes you be reconciled to your enemies. Right. That makes you love those who talk badly about you. All of that good stuff. It's the love of God. It's not the judgment. Yeah. It, it is God's love in judgment. God, right. All of God's judgment is love. Right. And people have a really tough time about that. Because, <coughs> sorry, because you think about this, and I don't think I don't think they would mind me sharing this story, but I, every time this story comes up, for some reason, I think about um, Pastor Lindsay's book, mm-hmm. uh, "The Way Home," and when she talks about coming home to Pastor Casey, yeah, and she talks about her friend going and exposing this mm-hmm. that was destroying her, right? She goes and 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 really tells everything. And if you want to read the book, go read the book, um, right. but. Her friend goes and tells, hey, this is going on. This relationship is going on. What what was that? It was the love of God. Right. Because literally God in that moment was jealous, was jealous for them to have a real marriage that looked like what will be our marriage one day. Right, right. And so... It, God's judgments are aimed at anything that hinder what is holy and pure. Yeah, yeah. And, I mean, too, we were talking about, like, the love of God and just it not being a conditional thing and not being on or off. And I honestly look at it as being in a room that have the lights on. Mm-hmm. And you can either open your eyes and see the light yep. or you can keep them closed and yep. not see the light regardless the light is going to be on. Right. And all holiness is, is choosing to open your eyes to the love of God. Yeah, it is. It really is. It's living a lifestyle that allows you to keep your eyes open 
to what God is doing. And then what that causes you to do, when you have this revelation of the love of God, how much God loves you, you begin to see people through that lens. Right. When we have the revelation of the love of God, we began to see people through the lens of love. Right. Through the lens of, like I remember one time I had somebody ask me this or pray this prayer, that genuinely they were they were saying basically like, give me eyes to see like you see. Mm-hmm. Praying to God. And it's like when you're praying for that, you are asking for his lens for every person. Right. So all of the people that you think deserve judgment, God has passionate, fiery love waiting for them. Right. To purify them and make them holy. Yeah, and, and when you do start seeing it through that, when you can start viewing God's judgment as God's love and God's love as God's judgment, and those are just interchangeable, it will completely change how you look at people. Yes. You're not a jerk anymore. Right. Because you know, because you know that you too will receive the judgment of God, right? Which is the love of God. Yeah, I say this all the time: God loves you too much to leave you right where you're at right now. Yeah, God in His mercy will move you to the place that you need to be, right? In Him to see His love appropriately. So, I think living in that love is how we keep from recreating Egypt. Yeah, and. Again, it kind of it plays back to this, you know, the cycles that Israel falls into. You know, the reason they keep falling into captivity is because they don't love each other well once they get out of captivity. Right. Like they're they, still <laughs> missing the key fundamental piece that if I'm deeply loved by God, so are you. Right. They're like, we're the chosen. We get pulled out. <laughs> we're not. We're now going to submit other people to slavery and not treat people well. And now we're back in captivity and we're pulled out. And that is the cycle that we find ourselves in. Yep. We, you know, we realize that we're loved by God. Then we fall into the trap of holiness and like judging other people and casting down on other people. And then we fall back into our own bondage. And it's a cycle that Jesus comes to break by and, saying, no, love your neighbor as yourself. And I'll say this. We don't fall into the trap of holiness. We fall into the tra- trap of self-righteousness. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because yeah. like there's a big difference. Yeah, 100%, 100%. I know people, I know people like uh, recently, it's very funny. Someone told my wife, they were like, um, can't remember where she was at, but they they mentioned something about what it means to really trust God and love sure. God, and you know those those people, and so because they have it all figured out, right? And then what they said was is like, well, if you're on birth control, I just don't know that you trust God. All right. And I was like, okay, let's uh <laughs> let's do some reasoning here. Do you have insurance? Do yeah. you wear a seatbelt? Right. Do you have life insurance? Do you do you do any like what all Do you was, have a savings account? Do you have a savings account? Right. What they were saying is that I have a belief that I hold mm-hmm. that I'm going to place onto everyone. Right. And when I do that, essentially if you if you live in these beliefs, you're right. And if you live without these beliefs, you're wrong. Right. Now I'm not really worried about if that makes you right with God or whatever. Sure. But, but to use the language, you don't really trust God if you don't do these things is a very that's very a, thin ice to walk that's on. It's a very thin ice to walk on. And it's also 
because you do not see people through the lens of love. Yet. Right. You still see people through the lens of you and they. What well, really what happens is is you get to a place where you feel like that you're holding up your end of the deal. Right. It goes back to that contractual thinking. Yeah. You're holding up your end of the deal with God. And now you are saying if you hold up your end of the deal. Right. You can have what I have. Which also, I mean, and, and too, I feel like Which that I would also, not switch lives with him. No. <laughs> and also, too, like, that thinking promotes so much bitterness in your heart mm-hmm. because God doesn't think that way. No. And so whenever you spend so much time and energy working on holding up your end of the bargain and then you see others who aren't and the same rain falls on them and the same sun shines on them, it's like, well, God, what's the point of me holding up my end of the bargain if they don't have to and they also receive the reward? Could you imagine, just imagine this. Imagine me, like if I have another kid, which mm-hmm. we plan to have more kids. Imagine when we plan when we have another kid, if one of them doesn't well, well number one, there's it's impossible for them to be exactly the same. Right. But imagine me saying, going up to them and saying, like, if, just say if I have another little boy, and we name him Sam. Sure. And I say, well, Beckham does this. Sam, you don't, so you probably don't trust me. Right, <laughs> right. Like, imagine that. What's that going to make Sam feel? Condemnation. Right. And anytime you have a belief, it's not conviction either. No, no. Like, it's not conviction either. The people who say, well, like, you just need, I've got to follow my convictions. Well, first of all, you don't have convictions. The church has convictions. Right. That they've had for, that we've had for 2,000 years that have been passed down from us. You may have wisdom right. that God has given to you for your life, but personal convictions, I think that language gets a little dicey. Or boundaries. You yeah. can call them what they are. They're just call, boundaries. Yes, they're just boundaries. It's but, fine. But but the church has convictions. Right. right. Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Right. That's a conviction. <laughs> right. He was the born church. of a virgin, yeah. raised again on the third day. Yes. Well, yeah. yeah. Suffered under Apostles Pilate, crucified, died, buried. Yeah. 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 Apostles Creed, Nicene Creed, and the, the councils. Go read those. Yeah. They're important. Um, they're very important for our church's history. And our but but those are the convictions of the church, right? Right. The Trinity. That's a that's a conviction of the church. Right. Right. And so but when you start taking your what you think makes you right and imposing that onto other people so that they now can be right, you have effectively become the children of Israel creating captivity for all the people around them. Yep. Why? You just put an expectation on them that God didn't even put. Right. And so could you imagine when we have another kid that I put expect I put the same exact expectations on both children. Right. And it's like, I expect you to be one way or the other. And it's like, could you imagine if based off their ability to meet those expectations that I changed towards them, and then I said, I deem you as trustworthy and you as untrustworthy. And and even, like, taking it a step deeper and, like, making it worse, I love you now and not you. Yeah, I'm favorable towards you and not you. Right. It's like, no, 
they are my children. Right. So I could there be a circumstance where I have to love them with the judgment of their decision? Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. But my nevertheless, this is done from a place of love rather than it's done from a place of well, you got to get right. You got to right. follow the contract, and, and it's never from a place of I am so mad. I have to express my anger towards you through judgment. Right. It is. I know you are better than this, yeah. and I want you to be everything you are meant to be. So I'm going to judge this action. I actually love you too much to let you let this work. Yeah. Yep. I love you too much to let it work. Yep. I love you too much for it to give you fulfillment. Yeah. And so, um. But anyways, we could go on about that for days. Sure could. And I just I think it's important that we live in a constant state of love. We don't put expectations on other people that God doesn't even put on us. Right. Now, obviously, if you're in leadership at a church or whatever, like you should absolutely know the expectations that your pastor has. You should know the yeah. expectations for like there's certain things that we don't post on social media right. here. There's certain things that we don't do here as a staff. There's certain ways of life that you actually will get punished for here. Sure. Right? So, like, for instance, like, if if I saw that ministry was, when I say punished, I don't mean punished, but you can lose your job for this. Right. If I saw that ministry was consuming you or our other staff member, Emily, to the point where you have no joy and happiness and peace and patience, I would probably ask you guys to find a different job. Sure. And that would be because I care more about you than I do you being in ministry and getting the work done around right. And But anyways, I say all of that to say we have to live inside of this state of I am deeply loved by God. And when we live in this state of I am deeply loved by God, love is the thing that changes. Yeah. It is the thing that changes. And... We can't force our beliefs onto other people and expect people to change at the drop of a hat. Right. And it'll never work that way. Right. Now, we've been talking about this around here, and then we'll cut this one. Um, but we have to trust the table of God. We yep. have to trust sitting down at the table of communion with God and allowing that to work within us. Yeah. And so, um, yeah. So that is all that we have this week for you guys. Uh, we appreciate you listening in and joining us for another one of these conversations. Um, make sure you get down in the comments down below. Let us know questions that you want us to address and tackle for next time. Sure. Um, we love you guys. Like, comment, and, share, subscribe. And I will say that sometimes we do get off track of the original question. Sure but do. I do think it flows together. Yeah. That, you know, just all in all that if you want to keep creating bondage for people, keep putting expectations on them that make them feel like that they have to live up to this contract. Yeah. Instead of the fact that Jesus has upheld his end of the covenant and, it, and not only his end, but our end too. Right. And we'll continue to do so. And we'll continue to do so. So love you guys. And uh, we will catch you all next week. See you next week.